faithwire.com. President Biden addresses the nation at the State of the Union last night. The reactions are, well, let's just call it intense. Today is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have that top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. You can find us on iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe over there. As we keep saying, make sure that you don't let algorithms decide when and what you see as far as it goes to news. Get it direct from the source. Go ahead and download it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you do not miss an episode. We're here. We're here all week going through the news and with me doing that every single day. Tregons Phillips, Billy Hollowell from CBN's Faithwire and they got to look at what's coming up. What's going on today, fellas? Happy Wednesday to y'all. We're we're almost there. I, I mean, know. We're like we're I like know. crawling towards it. <laughs> it's look, it's never going to cease to amaze me, guys, the uncanny ability we have to just get everyone there. Every week we make it. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know how we do it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but look, facts are facts. So anyway, so yeah. just saying. And if you were joining us for the State of the Union last night yeah. on our YouTube channel, we got you through that too. I mean, we get you through so many yes, things in I this know. life. I know. We're very kind. We're very yeah. kind in so giving the, people. Yeah. So the least, the least you can do is just subscribe. Give and, us five stars. Yeah. Give us five stars, all the other stuff. I mean, that's, it's easy. It's not asking much. So right. anyway, anyway, what, what do we have coming up today, guys? I'm going to be going through the State of the Union, as I said. Uh, but uh, what are you guys looking at? So I'm going to be talking actually about uh, a man in the UK who went down a rabbit hole uh, of YouTube videos about the new atheists. Uh, and he says that Richard Dawkins, yes, the famous atheist, the famous evangelist, Christ. He's now an yeah, evangelist. For this man, he was a, a, an evangelist. This is great. So I love this. We'll get into that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Well, we're also going to be talking about Russian President Vladimir Putin. What does he believe about God? And what is sort of this religious backdrop to the crisis in Ukraine? It hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but there's actually a lot going on there. Mm. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to all of those stories uh, and more. But we are going to start uh, with the State of the Union address, which uh, was uh, Biden's actually first as president. And obviously, when you first come in, you don't. Uh, necessarily you don't do one uh but he did last night and uh wow there was uh, a, a lot to talk about uh so we're gonna go through a few of the highlights here um obviously talked about ukraine and russia and said vladimir putin would pay for his actions um but he's going viral for a bit of a gaffe he made while talking about it uh here check out check out a little bit about it uh from that uh on the speech last night cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. This is the real test, and it's going to take time. So let us continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people to our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forged the deep bond that connects our two nations. We stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom. And he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. Now, if he caught that there, he, th he said the Iranian people, when he clearly meant the Ukrainian people, <laughs> Iranian people, I'm not sure how that happened. 
Um, but clearly misspoke there. Also, you know, there's always the pomp and circumstance of the standing and the sitting. Uh, well, this one you'll have to you'll have to look online for this one to see it. But this is a, a Chuck Schumer moment that went viral, where he kind of mistimed all the standing and the uh, applauding, and when he was supposed to stand. So as Biden starts here, you got a picture of Schumer getting up and then looking around, like, wait, no one else is clapping. What happened? Uh, and then it goes. So here, here. Schumer standing up. The American Rescue Plan. No one's clapping. Help working people. He's looking and left around. No one behind. And then he gets back up, and then and then they all clap. And so then he he uh, he got on board with that. So the whole I I find the whole standing and sitting thing just it's just ridiculous. Um, it, it like gives partisanship this formality, you know, where normally we just get all the nonsense in the back and forth day to day. But, in, but the state of the union gives them a chance to formalize their partisanship. It's really great. Um, so anyway, so uh, there was, however, bipartisan moments throughout the night. And one of those, there are many of them came on the Ukraine topic. Obviously people unified again, you know, on, on at least standing up against Putin here, you know, maybe talking about the different ways we could do that, but clearly a lot of applause lines there that, that everyone could agree on but there were other bipartisan moments too particularly on uh, one on the subject of police check it out that's why the american rescue plan that you all provided 350 billion dollars that cities states and counties can use to hire more police invest in more proven strategies <clears throat> proven strategies like Proven strategies like community violence interruption, trusted messengers breaking the cycle of violence and trauma, and giving young people some hope. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police, it's to fund the police. Fund them. So he gets the applause line there. It's interesting that he said the proven strategies. And uh, I wasn't really sure what he meant by some of those, like community violence interruption. What is that? I don't, I don't really know what that. I don't. Are you guys familiar with what that is? Uh, I'm, I mean, it's the first time I've heard it. I'd never heard it. Pro yeah, proven no. strategies, like giving people hope. I, okay, I'm not really sure what that is. So um, that was that was interesting. But he did get the applause line for saying, "Well, let's not defund the police." So uh, an, another moment that's drawing a lot of criticism was when uh, Lauren Boebert uh, tried to bring in and mention the. Th because Biden did not mention the 13 Americans who lost their lives as uh, we pulled out of Afghanistan. Uh, and so they're criticizing the timing of when she brought that up. Listen, this is, you can hear her in the background bring up the 13 as Biden's trying to speak. A cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. I know. One of those. One of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. I don't know for sure if the burn pit that he lived near, that his hooch was near. So that was the moment there that's getting a lot of criticism. And she sort of interrupted as he's talking about his son who obviously passed away. So uh, there was that moment. And also, uh, there, so reactions have been coming in. As, as you can imagine, it's pretty partisan. Um, you had a lot of conservatives out there criticizing Biden. Um, and again, you don't get a lot of the jokes. I mean, one of the things that I, I was thinking about as I watched this guy's, you know, you, you can see Biden 
has had trouble sort of not stumbling at times and, you know, likely due to his age because he didn't do that so much before, even when he was vice president. You see more of it now. And, um, you know, that, you know, comedians and things would go out like George Bush would say a word and then it, it, he became like this dumb caricature, right? Like they made him into a, a dumb human being or whatever the case may be. And so you just don't see that with Biden, despite some of the flubs that he's constantly doing. And he's always been known for gaffes, but he seems to be doing more of them lately, but never the criticism. Anyway, here's the late night show, Stephen Colbert and his reaction. He went live after the State of the Union, you know, because what good comedy show, you know, tapes ahead of the State of the Union. But uh, here's uh, his reaction to uh, Biden's address. After Joe Biden's first official State of the Union address, and let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it was a roller coaster ride of rip, roaring reasonableness. <laughs> Keep in mind, a week ago, this was going to be a totally different speech. But when Ukraine was invaded, the whole world changed. Because right now, there is a dictator who thinks he can violently conquer a sovereign democracy. But Joe Biden beat him in the last election. See what he did there? And he did. He made a Trump, a Trump joke. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Hilarious. He's late so brave. So, yeah, so brave. So brave. Uh, golf clap for him. Golf clap. Yes, indeed. So, um, so other thing, other reactions. Mitch McConnell pointed out, guys, this is an interesting one. The lack of China talk. He said, quote, apart from Ukraine, the president's other remarks on our dangerous world were not just insufficient. They were basically non-existent. The president spoke for over an hour, but only mentioned China twice. Uh, and then there was, of course, the GOP response um, given by the Iowa governor. And then, of course, there, an interesting twist to this one, guys. You had a Democrat response. And this was Rep. Rashida Tlaib gave it. And um, she, among other things, talked about being a lifelong Democrat who's part of the Working Families Party. And she said, quote, in the richest country in the world, it shouldn't be this hard for so many to have a good life. Um, and we'd fight to get minimum wage of at least $15 an hour. And actually Joe Biden said that during the speech that he wanted to push for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Guys, I say, why stop at 15? If we're just picking numbers out of a hat, <laughs> let's go to 75. What do you, what do you say? Let's uh, go big. You know? Let's go big. Why stop there? If we're just arbitrarily picking numbers. Um, so the fact checkers were out in force and, this is PolitiFact. They've got a string of fact checks, guys. And I just want to let you know, we, we've talked about the fact checkers a lot on here and how they have biases, but no biases last on, on the State of the Union. They, they take it very seriously. Here's one of the, one of the statements they chose to really dive deep in and fact check last night is when President Biden said, quote, Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked, end quote. So they... I know you wanted to dive into that one because you just weren't sure. Like, wait a minute, was Putin provoked? And so PolitiFact is here to tell you that, quote, this is accurate, end quote, and they explain why. <laughs> and then they they fact check the Iranian people line that I played for you a moment ago, which was clearly just a, a gaffe and misspoke. He obviously meant Ukrainian people, but they fact check this. I mean, this is... This is the kind of thing you you get from these fact checkers when you have, um, you know, a, a bias in it. They, the, the, you can tell just by the things they pick. And so there's a whole list of them there in PolitiFact, and it's too insufferable to go through it. We'd have to do a whole other podcast to go through that one. But uh, but 
But why does it matter? Obviously, guys, well, I mean, state of the union, it's it's the state of things. And, uh, you know, it's all the things that we're dealing with in the world right now. But to be honest with you, the state of the union address is one of the more frustrating things because it's, I think, really a partisan event and doesn't really unify anyone. And um, it just gives people more chances to yell at each other over politics. So, uh, but there you have it. There's some of the main highlights uh, from last night. Yeah, I think the other thing worth mentioning on the economy, there were a number of proclamations that were made. The yeah. fastest job growth in history, oh, that yes. was one of them, yes. right? Um, and that was really, I, I do feel like, I, this is not a partisan statement at all. I think if anybody is saying that, and there, it's almost an insane statement to make that, oh, the economy is growing the fastest, fastest it ever has. There's more jobs than ever. Well, you shut the economy down for right. a year practically. Right. It's, then, it's, it's right. completely disingenuous to sit there and act like some magical policy that the Biden administration has put in is leading to hmm. this record economic growth. And we're just in some sort of boom, uh, you know, in the roaring 20s. Right. It's it, it's bizarre. You, you shut the, the government shut down large swaths of the economy and it's slowly coming back because the government has been slow to sort of lift all of these restrictions. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's completely disingenuous to say that. And I don't know how anyone actually believes that. I mean, does anyone believe that stuff? I, I think people do. And that's why they yeah. use it. I, I do think there are people who don't, who don't understand how this works. If they weren't affected by that, you know, then they just kind of move on and they're like, yay, things are, are moving fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're moving in the right direction because they've been opened back up. And so, um, yeah, that part of it, I, I share your frustration with these addresses because it's rah, rah, rah. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what my party has done. And to me, that's not, it should be about the state of the union. It should all be, right. and this is like me living, you know, pie in the sky, but it should all be focused on what our country is doing to better itself without the partisan chaos. But that's what it's become. Well, I, before you go here, Trey, I would just, I would just throw in there. How about we go back to a letter? Like it was supposed mm -hmm. to be in the beginning. You just write down a note and throw it up on Twitter or something and a link to it and we'll check it out. <laughs> I'd yeah. be good with that. No, that is, that's exactly what I was going to say is that if you look back in time, it used to be that these, the state of the union was a letter that was delivered to Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know now that like two thirds of America would never read it or even much less <laughs> knew that it existed. But um, uh, I think it would probably uh, quell some of the, uh, the political theater that this uh, thing has become. I mean, yeah. it's good anytime you can hear from a president. So I don't want to discourage the president right, right. from speaking. Um, but uh, yeah, the entire thing is just a, a political show, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's so hard to your point, Billy, and to you, Dan, to hear over and over again about how incredibly well the economy is roaring back. <laughs> One, it's like the economy is not doing incredibly. Right. I wouldn't say that it's roaring back. It's like meowing back. <laughs> uh, so we are we are growing, but it's it's not like this really overnight, really fast growth. Uh, and two, when you artificially suppress it, there was nothing. And I think that's the frustrating thing uh, when when it comes to people believing it, uh, because if you say, well, the, everything was shut down because of COVID, it's like, no, everything wasn't shut down because of COVID. 
COVID happened and everything was shut down because of the government. The government right, yeah. But if you make that distinction, it's that's somehow like you're a partisan hack and you're trying to score political points. Like, right. no, that's just that's just reality. <laughs> right. The government shut things down. COVID did not uh, shut anything down. Uh, so we needed to have a response, of course. I'm not saying yeah. that we shouldn't have responded, but the lingering effects on the economy is not because of COVID. It's because of the government. Yes. Ah, totally, yeah, yeah, you create a uh, you create chaos and then you come in to solve the chaos that you've created. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a need for some of the shutdowns, but right. the point is it's not what it was being framed as last yeah. night. I've gone yeah, too long. Exactly. I've gone too long on the state of the union, but there was a lot to, to react to on that. So um but I think we can leave it there. <laughs> yes. Save everyone. We'll save America any more of the pomp and circumstance and chaos. All right. Well, on to something that is not partisan and really a good news story. Uh, I want to talk about Peter Byram. He's a man who lives in East Sussex in the UK. Uh, and he said that he, we actually spoke with him today and we'll have the full interview up uh, either later this week or the beginning of next week. So we'll let you know, but you check the CBN News YouTube channel for that. Uh, but Peter grew up nominally Christian is what he told us. He was not really committed to his faith. Uh, he, he kind of knew about it and, and had, you know, he kind of believed in God, but he didn't really know much about Jesus and, uh, you know, was kind of waffling on it. So he went off to college uh, and he said that he quickly bought into the stereotype, the belief that a Christian, Christians are non-intellectual. Uh, they don't really know much about anything. They're, they're not really informed. Uh, and, and this lie that you can't be intellectual, you can't be really interested in the facts of life, uh, of how creation happened and uh, you know, all of this stuff. You can't really be alerted and, and informed about all that stuff and be a Christian. The two can't coexist. Uh, so he was uh, the perfect candidate. It, uh, to go down the rabbit hole that he went down. Uh, one of his friends gave him Richard Dawkins' book, uh, The God Delusion. Uh, he ended up from there, he, he said he, he loved that and he just like consumed it quickly, uh, bought into pretty much everything that Dawkins had to say. He went down a YouTube a rabbit hole, uh, consuming all this content from the new atheists and was just so convinced uh, about atheism. He said he actually loved watching uh, Dawkins and people like Sam Harris debate believers uh, because he said he just wanted to see them completely rip apart their arguments. Um, but the more and more he watched Christians uh, talking to Dawkins, the more he watched Dawkins kind of waffle on some of his answers to theological questions, the more he realized he was actually changing his perspective. Uh, he said, I took the philosophies, the, the reasoning tactics, the logical skills and tools. He said, I took those things that Richard Dawkins taught me. And they actually led me to a different conclusion than Dawkins. He said that it led me to believe in God. And he said it was an unwelcome feeling at first. He said, I wasn't really all that jazzed about uh, maybe I'm not an atheist and maybe I actually believe in God. Uh, he said that was something that he pushed back against initially, uh, but then he started consuming videos of William Lane Craig, uh, watching other um, apologists talk about the faith, and he said he really came to believe that there's not really a strong argument for atheism, uh, and there's a much stronger argument uh, for Christianity, but it wasn't just, for him it was hard to transition from it being intellectual to it being a heart change. And I want to play a clip, Dan, I think you have it queued up yep. of him answering uh, what he had to say when he talked to William Lane Craig uh, and, and how he transitioned from it just being an intellectual faith to it being a real, uh, you know, spiritual faith in Jesus. Um, 
you know, I, I was able to meet him and have some really good discussions with him. Um, but also his wife, Jan, as well. Um, and she just said very clearly to me, look, Pete, it's great that you have come to this point of, you know, you say that you're no longer an atheist and that you've really engaged with, you know, all these good reasons for Christianity. But really, the key thing is it is about Jesus. And if you're not prepared to give him everything, then you sh actually shouldn't become a Christian. Don't do it. Because actually, that is what it's about. You've got to go all in and give everything to him. And that really just made me realize what the decision had to be. Um, you know, um, it would be better off almost if I'd become an atheist, if, I, if I'd stayed an atheist and, and hadn't, um, you know, if I really felt I couldn't do that. It, it, it has to be that commitment and saying, you know, look, yes, you know, you, you exist, it's true, and that, you know, you're not a, um, a celestial, you know, tyrant like Christopher Hitchens would have um, described it but actually this is the loving God who created the entire universe and humanity reaching out to say I have a rescue plan it's just a, a phenomenal conversation. Uh, he also talked about how the Holy Spirit, he said, kind of uh, used the intellectual side because he knew that that's what appealed to him. Uh, Peter was really drawn into the intellectual side. He said, so I saw that I can look back now and see that Jesus was using that to eventually bring the heart change and bring the emotional and spiritual side in. He said, for some people, it might be different. It might be the other direction. Uh, he said, but for me, that's how the Holy Spirit drew me in. And, uh, and how he came to be a follower of Christ. And another interesting part of our conversation is he actually had a chance to confront Richard Dawkins, who has refused to have a debate with William Lane Craig. Uh, so he talked uh, about why he said, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, it's important to debate. And it's important to, to have these conversations. Why won't you have a conversation or a debate with William Lane Craig? And he said, well, he's just a professional debater. Uh, he's not really a philosopher and I don't have time uh, in my busy schedule to sit down with William Lane Craig. So, uh, but he went into more about uh, that confrontation, which you'll be able to see in the full interview. So just a fascinating conversation as far as why it matters. Look, I think it's true that people do come to Christ uh, in different ways. And Peter, it was the intellectual path uh, that ultimately led him to accepting Christ. So I think it's important to have these conversations to, to give people tools and how to navigate their faith and, and to answer these questions and to not be afraid of questions either. That was something we talked about. If you've got questions or you're, you're doubting or you're skeptical, uh, skeptical about something, whether you're a believer or not, uh, God is big enough to answer these questions. Uh, so bring them to him and, and seek out answers from, from people that you trust. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I mean, I just can't get over the fact, Trey, that uh, Dawkins is now one of the top evangelists, Christian evangelists here in, in America. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Good for him. Uh, but but uh, it, it is fantastic. And, and I, you know, I have to chuckle when I hear Dawkins saying he's too busy to debate. And <laughs> because, you know, look, I, I understand there's smart people and it's not like they don't have any arguments for any of these things. And some of them might even be good arguments. But I really do think as um, he was saying that when you really boil it down, I mean, obviously I'm a Christian, but the arguments just, you really have some tough inconsistencies as an atheist in particular with all of the things like the way we all live and choose to live really conflicts with the atheist worldview. It, it, it's at odds. Why do you care about anything? If you're just matter in motion, you know, it's just, 
why are you passionate about an issue? Why are you passionate about atheism? When you really boil these questions down back to the beginning, they they really fall flat and they they oftentimes contradict the way you're living your life. Hmm. Yeah, well, and to me, there's two big things here, two takeaways. A, we need to be educated about our faith. We need to know the answers so that we can we can answer the questions that people have, right? And if we don't know the answers, we could tell them we don't know. Yeah. We can go look mm-hmm. it up. But the other bigger thing is not to be afraid of these intellectual atheists yeah. who are out there saying these things because at the end of the day, you let them talk and talk and talk. And it's easy to sort of jump in and try to dismantle it. And we should, again, stand up for the things that we know are untrue. But let them talk because this is what naturally happens. At some point, they start to no longer make any logical sense. You right? can't. Yeah. And, I, and <laughs> yeah. look, and I think your point's great, Billy, about <clears throat> engaging in these things. And, it, and don't be afraid because if you, you're not going to know every answer. And you know what? A, a, a fat, like all of us trying to debate Christopher Hitchens, we'd probably lose because he's a really good you know, on his feet and, and articulate and everything else. I mean, now he wouldn't lose because he's dead. But, you know, <laughs> when he was alive, you know what I mean. But <laughs> but, uh, but point being, though, um, at my kids' uh, youth group the other night we, that we had uh, one of the uh, professors from Cairn uh, University, which is near where I live, and uh, he's a philosopher, and, and he was really great. And he was talking about philosophy and T- telling these kids like ask the big questions and, and he was kind of explaining how philosophy works and how you ask questions and how you drill down and he was telling them exactly that like don't be afraid of the of the big questions because as christians we have the most mm-hmm. logical and reasonable and plausible answers when you yeah. get down to them and so many times atheists are borrowing from the christian worldview the christian ethos to justify things well that's wrong well Again, and we've talked about this a lot, try relativism. Well, why is that wrong? And then when you boil these questions down, they're going to see there's no rational justification for any of the things they believe when it comes from atheism. So anyway, uh, I I like that point. Be confident to go ahead and explore these things because we won't return void. And uh, something something too that I want to add in before we move on to the next story, it's kind of a a cool full circle aspect to Peter's story is so when he first started to, to be interested in Christianity and started to think, huh, maybe I'm a believer. He started watching a lot of videos uh, from premier, which is a UK Christian mm-hmm. uh, based outlet. Uh, it was a show called unbelievable, which is a lot of Christian apologists having conversations with atheists and they discuss these issues back and forth. And now uh, what's interesting is uh, Peter actually works for premier uh, and is one of the producers for the show unbelievable is he really uh, oh, which that's is great. a show that yeah a show that helped uh, lead him to christ so i really love cool that show there that's awesome yeah absolutely <clears throat> all right so our final story is about russian president vladimir putin and whether or not he believes in god which seems like you know i think if you look at the things he's said over the years let's not talk about what he's doing right now and what he's <laughs> done but the things he said it seems like he has aligned himself with the russian orthodox church he participates in all sorts of you know things that you do when you're part of the church and but but it's interesting because there's this whole underbelly religious 
element to this Ukrainian debacle. Um, but we we basically went and talked with Mark Tooley. He's the president of the Institute on Religion and Democracy and really sort of dove into this discussion. What does Putin believe? And the interesting thing um, is that Mark said, look, we, we can't really know for sure what he believes. He, he grew up with a Christian mother. He's worn a crucifix around his neck, which he's talked about for most of his life. Um, of course, that doesn't make you a Christian. Um, but here's what, what uh, Mark said that's really interesting. He said, quote, certainly he has embraced the patronage of the Russian Orthodox Church and used it to advance his own political purposes domestically and internationally. But that is a centuries-long tradition for Russia. And so we've got a very in-depth write-up on this on Faithwire. We also have a video interview with Mark Tooley that you can watch. But to sort of distill it, it's really, you kind of have to go back quite a while into the history of Russia and look at how the Russian Orthodoxy, the official church in Russia, ties itself together with the government. You know, here in America, we have, everyone loves to debate about the separation of church and state. Really, what that means is we don't have a national religious system merged with our government. In Russia, they do. And Mark also wrote a really interesting article talking about this. And as he unpacked it, he said, look, you know, a lot of people might look at Moscow, they might look at Russia and Putin, and they might say, oh, that's a religious country. They must have a lot in common with us. He said, actually, Russia is, quote, more secular than many Western countries Mm. um, because this religious system, it's really, you know, here in the U.S., we're talking a lot about Christian nationalism. That is actually what is going on in Russia. It is a nationalistic system in which the government and and the church are merged together. And so why does this matter to the Ukrainian debacle? And then we'll get back to Putin and his faith. But it matters because Putin apparently sees himself as sort of this messianic figure, according to some critics. This this, uh, journalist at the BBC, Harry Farley, was talking about this, and he said, you know, Putin sees himself as this person who has the ability to come in and reunite the Eastern Orthodox churches under Russia. So what does that mean? A few years ago, and a lot of people might not realize this, Ukraine obviously has been a free country for three decades now, but it also separated itself from the Russian Orthodox Church. There was quite a bit of drama and consternation, um, and they separated themselves out, and they were granted freedom from Russia. And so that actually, if you look at this nationalistic system in Russia, that carries a lot of weight for Ukraine to say, we're not going to be part of this anymore. We're going to do our own thing religiously. And so there's a lot of speculation that this isn't the reason that he's doing it. But part of this, and if you go back to to Putin's statement uh, the other day, he talked about their shared you know, spiritual past, basically. They have a shared connection. That's the connection he's talking about. The Russian Orthodox Church ran religion in both countries, they separated out in 2018. And if you go back at the time, the former Ukrainian president, um, Petro Poroshenko, probably butchering his name, um, he praised the move. He praised that separation. And he said, quote, this day will go down in history as a sacred day, the day of the final independence from Russia. So it was a big deal, this separation religiously. And so I won't go into all the other details of it, but what could happen next? Why does it matter? If he comes in and takes power, there's a good chance. We're not just talking about a puppet government, that there's some religious control that comes back in, or at least an attempt to usurp the Ukrainian church there. Um, so just as we round out um, a lot of interesting things there, what does Putin really believe? 
Go back to this 2007 Time Magazine interview. It's fascinating. Um, he talked about how you needed to have, you can't separate morality from religious values. So that was interesting. But then he was asked if he believes in a supreme God, and he shot back at the reporter and said, do you? And then he said this. He said, there are things I believe which should not in my position at least be shared with the public at large for everybody's consumption because that would look like self-advertising or a political striptease. And so this is the, he's just this mysterious, bizarre figure, but he is using religion for control. And that's a part of the story I don't think has been told. Mm, yeah. And that is, look, that is worth going into because I see a lot of people saying online right now, I do do you get the feeling we don't understand what's going on in Ukraine? And it's like, well, yeah, you've got to look at all, a whole lot of factors. You know, you don't just up and invade a country for, no, you know, no, I'm not saying he has a good reason. I'm just saying there's, you don't just say, well, we want this extra land. There, there's always going to be more to it than that, especially when it comes to Russia, which, you know, obviously lost a bunch of territory after the fall of the Soviet Union. And so uh, you've got to look at the motivating factors there and the culture and, how it all works and that the Orthodox church in Russia is a huge one. And so I'm glad you broke it down. Yeah. I mean, listening to your interviews, Billy with uh, Jeff Kinley and then watching or then reading through this piece, uh, it really makes me realize like you can't really separate the, um, the religious aspect of this story uh, from what's going on politically or diplomatically because they're, they're very deeply entwined, uh, particularly that you know, Putin reportedly sees himself as this messianic figure. So he, he feels to him, this is like a, a holy uh, undertaking, mm -hmm. uh, at least presumably. So yeah, it, it's fascinating to, to see uh, those aspects of the story kind of broken down because there's so much to it that we don't really understand. I mean, it's just, uh, it's such a, a mess what's going on there, but uh, certainly to, to continue to be praying for both, uh, both the people of Russia and then obviously the people in Ukraine is, is, is necessary. Mm. All right. Well, obviously a lot of information, a lot of news going on to cover. So a few minutes long today, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That just means we're a couple minutes closer to the weekend as we always do for you. I mean, it's amazing. The amazing uncanny ability we have. Uh, to do that. All right, head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Stay up to date on everything going on. And we will be back here tomorrow with more Lord willing and the Crick Don't Rise. God bless. See you tomorrow. <laughs>